return is very close And so you better be believing that our God is an awesome God Our God is an awesome God Welcome to a service at Holy Life Tabernacle in Brookings, South Dakota. We are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Now let's go into the sanctuary and here's today's message. Doing good today? Amen. It was a great day out. Everything was really good and all that, so... Well, Deb, why don't you come on up here? Let's give Deb a warm welcome as she comes up. Just appreciate her heart for ministry and for the word, and you're going to be blessed tonight. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. Praise the Lord. So the verse that's just been going over in my head over and over all afternoon when I was trying to meditate on my message, the Lord given me 1 John 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love. The Father hath bestowed upon us that we would be called, just named, let alone be the children, the daughters and the sons of God. The Passion Bible says, look with wonder. Just stop and gaze. Just think about it for a minute. The love of the Father for you. Lavish love. Relentlessly you are cherished. You just got to take a deep breath, right? Just take it in. Consistently and continually and forever. He chose you to love you and to pour his love into you and his goodness. So, Father, we just thank you. We just thank you that we can gaze with wonder at the love of the Father for us, for the whole world. And, Lord, I pray that you'd open our hearts to receive tonight and our ears to hear Would you increase our faith? Would you increase our strength? Would you increase our hope? And Lord, we give place tonight to your spirit and to your word. Expand our understanding. Expand our hearts. Expand our very capacity to hold more of you and your spirit. And we thank you for being with us in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'd like to teach tonight on uh, Jehovah Sabaoth, or Yahweh Sabaoth. And um, it's one of the covenant names of God. It means the military God. <laughs> you know, just as every government has its own leader, its own judicial system, its own military, God's kingdom has its own military. And we're talking about the entire angelic force. I don't know, sometimes we just picture there's a couple angels here and there, two or three, but thousands, friends, thousands and thousands and thousands. And that's really what Sabaoth means. I know we get it mixed up with Sabbath, S-A-B-B-A-T-H, has to do with rest. But Sabaoth means hosts or armies, armies. That's what we're talking about, the armies of heaven. Now, this name shows up 285 times in the Old Testament. There's a few other good names, you know, like Jehovah Jireh. I bet you all know what that means. The provider. And we've called on that God, right? 
And we praise and we worship that God. That's one of the reasons why I have this thing about the names of God. Years ago, somebody said, can you worship the Lord for two minutes straight? Well, at the beginning, it was a little hard for me. And then I thought, well, goodness, God deserves even more than two minutes. How about five minutes? But then I just was having a real hard time until I started studying the names of God. Once you start learning all these different facets of God, then it's easier. Like, even if you just use the name Jehovah Shalom, you could at least for two minutes, right? You are my prosperity. You are my wholeness. You are my harmony in all my relationships. How does Jeannie put it? Nothing missing, nothing lacking. Did you know Jehovah Jireh shows up in the Word of God one time? Of course, there's thousands of other verses that back it up and support it. He's our provider. But one time, that covenant name shows up. Same with Jehovah Nissi. We sing about that one, so you should all know what that means. My banner, my champion, my hero, the one who leads me in victory. And that name shows up one time in the Old Testament. But Jehovah Sabaoth, the name we hardly know, Shows up 285 times. I think God is kind of wanting to get our attention here. Maybe he has something he wants to say. Now, I don't suppose too many of you have used this when you've called upon God, but maybe after tonight you'll be tempted because this is a name that you want to use when the odds are against you. When it looks like defeat is just around the corner and you're totally outmatched and you know it. Friends, at times like that, we've got to have a name, a name that makes the very pillars of earth tremble. And this is the name, Jehovah, well, one of them. But I wanted to show you how powerful this name is tonight. So scripture, Proverbs 18.10, tells us that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Now, they don't run and hide. The righteous do not run and hide. Amen. We do not run and hide. We do not ignore the facts. We know where to go when we have issues, and we know the name that we're going to call upon, because this is the name, Jehovah Sabaoth, of urgency and need. Now, I, like I said, this sacred and holy name shows up 285 times, and it's usually translated in the King James as Lord of Hosts. I think it's NIV that calls it Lord calls him Lord Almighty. The Passion Bible and the English Bible translated as the Lord who commands armies or the Lord of Heaven's armies. Now, how many times have you called on Yahweh Sabaoth? Not too many. Maybe it's just because we don't know, right? Or we've never had the need. But you know, I believe in our future. And the Lord just showed me this this afternoon. Here we are talking about the warrior God. But aren't we all supposed to be warriors? So we warriors might need to know this warrior God for some stuff that might be coming up in our lives. Hallelujah. And this whole fact that it shows up 285 times, I think God's saying, come on, get to know me. Get to know me a little bit. You'll like what you find. <laughs> so, are you ready to take a peek? We're going to start with three of the most famous verses that use this name that maybe we just didn't realize. One of them is Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. 
Anybody? Oh, she's already got it on the board, so I can't ask you to tell it to me by memory. But lots of us have memorized this, right? Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Here it is right here, Jehovah Sabaoth. Yahweh Sabaoth. And uh, he's talking here to Zerubbabel. And he even, imagine this, sent an angel to tell this to him. Imagine that. The commander of the army of heaven. He loves to send angels to do his bidding, by the way. Sometimes we don't even know that there's an angel doing it or talking or saying it. In fact, friends, um, I got a text from a friend who got a text from a friend. <laughs> and uh, there's this prophecy going around the country that I, might, I thought you might be excited to hear. So here's, I just wrote down little sections. Watch in this election, because the Lord says, I have assigned angel armies to descend upon our nation thousands and thousands of warring angels who will take their place in voting lines and at ballot boxes across the land. Watch for powerful angelic encounters in voting lines and at ballot boxes for their eyes will be open and their minds will be enlightened and their hearts transformed as the spirit of truth and righteousness begins to reign in America. How many people will say yes? Hallelujah. I saw angels gently touching many on their heads and on their shoulders while others had their hands and feet touched and just like the prodigal, Son, they will come to their senses. Suddenly, people will come under a deep conviction. Many will be overwhelmed and undone by the tangible presence of the Lord. Oh, is that good? We agree in Jesus' name. And chains will fall off their hands and their feet. Heavy yokes will be broken off their necks. There there will be, excuse me, this will be, for many, a great spiritual breakthrough. Oh, Glory to God. Glory to God. <clears throat> so, it's good to know Yahweh Sabaoth. <laughs> so, in this case, Zerubbabel was in need. His country was in crisis. And he was looking for political power and clout. He was looking for military uh, might. He was looking for a, a lot of strong men. And, and in our day, it would be guns and, and ammunition. And yet, the Lord sends an angel to say, that's not what you need. It's not going to be might or power, but you're going to win. You're going to have the victory by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, says Jehovah Sabaoth. So, I don't care how weak you feel. I don't care how inadequate or, in, or deficient. It might appear that no one is on your side. It might look like you're just completely alone, but I declare to you, says the Lord, the victory will be delivered to you by the one and only Yahweh Sabaoth, who commands the entire angelic force of the universe. Glory to God. So there's another very famous verse in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. This is the famous vision given to Isaiah that completely altered his life and his ministry. And the context is that the whole country is in great embarrassment and shame and confusion because their king Uzziah, who was a very successful king. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, right now, it's a little odd, but we have a great president <laughs> doing great things. It's just unfortunate not everybody's applauding him. But in this day, Uzziah was the hero of the country. 
he was accomplishing great things for God's people. And then he got a little proud, and he decided that he had this right to go into the temple and burn incense, and he was struck down with leprosy. And he ended up dying, and he wasn't even buried amongst the kings. And so for the whole country, there were there was this disillusionment and this discouragement. And for Isaiah as a person, he's a very young man, and it's like his hero died. Like, I have no one to look up to. I thought this guy would be my the one I could look up to, and he's gone. He's out of the picture. So Isaiah is in distress, the country's in distress, and God shows up with this vision, and he sees the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And then verse 2 talks about these seraphim. Seraphim are angels, but not just any old angel. They're, it, it means fiery ones. So they're so close to the the fire of God, that they, they are fiery. They're very, when he saw them, they were on fire. Like, and um, they had six wings, two they covered their face, two they covered their feet, and two they flew with. And then they were saying something. Verse 3 says, they cried one to another, and they said, holy, holy, holy is... Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. So God, this consuming fire, affects these angels who are so close to him and to such an extent that they're on fire, and all they can talk about, that's all they can say over and over. In Hebrewism, whenever some a word shows up three times, it means that they're being, it's being said again and again and again. And again, and that's all they could say was holy, holy, holy. All they can talk about is the glory and the holiness of God. It's really no wonder that Isaiah, the book of Isaiah has 66 chapters. And Isaiah uses the phrase, Yahweh Sabaoth, Lord of hosts, 60 times. 60 times in 66 books. I would say this vision sort of affected him. Wouldn't you? I mean, it's like he got to know intimately this Yahweh Sabaoth, the one who commanded the angels of heaven. I mean, he was consumed then with this mighty warrior of a God, and we should too, friends. We should get to know this warrior God, this leader of armies, this one capable of conquering every enemy. Every enemy. And friend, he is your conquering God. Another very famous verse using this wonderful name is Psalm 46.10. We all know this verse. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Verse 11 is the last verse of the psalm. And the identical words in verse 11 were earlier in the psalm in verse 7. So twice God wanted this said. The Lord of hosts is with us. Yahweh Sabiah. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Now, by now, you might be seeing a little theme. In other words, whenever we're powerless, whenever there's no match, like no match for our adversary, there is a name we can run into and be safe. Because there's nothing he cannot do. There's no enemy he can't defeat. He commands the armies of heaven. And 
friend, he delights to deliver you. It's not like, well, I got to see if they did this, 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 and this, and this for me. I got to see what kind of attitude they have this week. No, he delights to deliver you. Hallelujah. Now, the first time this wonderful name appears in the scripture is in the writings of 1 Samuel. But there is an exciting appearance of Yahweh, Sabaoth. He's not called that, but let's just take a peek here. It's in uh, Joshua chapter 5. We're going to read 13, 14, and 15 from the NIV translation. It says, when Joshua was by Jericho, it came to pass that he lifted up his eyes and he looked. And here stood this man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and he said, are you for us? Or for our adversaries? And he said, neither. I am the captain of the host of the Lord. And that's why I'm here. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and he did worship. And he said, what saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, loose your shoe from off your foot for the place wherein you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, can you imagine an encounter with Yahweh Zabiah? And he's in battle position. He sees him standing with his sword drawn. Sword drawn. I mean, it's got to be a little bit uh, overwhelming. And the first thing when he uh, asks, what do you have to say to me? He just says, take off your sandals. Isn't it interesting, this theme of holiness again? So just getting to know this God is going to be uh, an experience of, of his holiness. When he took off his sandals, what Joshua was really saying here is, I give the battle to you. The whole burden of the victory is now on your shoulders, Lord. That'd be good for all of us to take up that stance, right? Now, why did... I mean, I guess I skipped a few paragraphs. I better go back here. <clears throat> Why did the Lord show up as the commander of the army at this point in history? What was the big deal going on here? It was the Battle of Jericho. It was a little bit, ah, uh, we can't do this, Lord. <laughs> this is big city. Nobody's been able to take this city ever. So God showed up. With all of the armies of heaven, the angels. Hallelujah. God's people, God wanted to make sure that they were going to possess their God-given inheritance. And friends, we have a God-given inheritance right here. Hallelujah. And God wants to make sure we're going to inherit all of it. So he often shows up with his angels in our life. I mean, yes, we love the idea of him showing up in the voting lines and, you should do this, you should do that. Do you realize, do you understand? But you know what? The angels show up in our life. Tap, 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 tap. Do you know who you are? Do you know what kind of power you have inside of you? Hallelujah. The Spirit of God and the angels of God are constantly reminding us and trying to get us to that place 
where we'll take it, where we'll receive it, and where we'll live in it. Uh, Hebrews 1.14 talks just a tiny bit about these angels. They're always at work, friends. Here's what it says. They Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Now this, I believe this is a, one of those layered verses. I believe that these ministering spirits, that these angels are out there, any person in your life right now that you're praying to bring into salvation, like my daughter, I know those angels are busy. They're constantly guiding her, directing her, causing her to think about a certain thing, maybe to hear a certain scripture, to read a certain whatever. I know the angels are busy. They're set forth to minister to all those people we're praying for that God wants to bring into the kingdom, but he's also sent angels to minister to those of us who are already heirs of salvation. Have you had anything recently where if it wasn't divine, you wouldn't be here? Well, I just missed being hit the other day. The first day the snow came, I won't even tell it publicly because my husband will have a cow. <laughs> but it was the grace of God. It was the angels of heaven that saved me. Yes, they're always helping us, delivering us, healing. Yes, they release healing to us. Sometimes, friends, when we're just in here worshiping, I know the angels are joining us. I know that the angels are just even touching our bodies. Like during communion, isn't that always such a holy time? When you eat that bread, you're partaking of the broken body of Jesus. And the ministry of healing is going on right during that, in your body. Same with the blood. That grape juice goes down. I just picture the blood of Jesus affecting every cell, every bone, every muscle. That's The angels are ministering to us all the time. So also what happened with Elijah, First Kings chapter, or Second Kings 6. Elisha wakes up one morning. His servant is shaken. Hey, hey, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Look out the window. And there's all the Syrian army, the entire Syrian army. Why are they out there trying to get to Elisha? Well, they heard the, the news that Elisha is telling the news from heaven to the king. And anyway. Elijah isn't one bit disturbed, even though the servant is freaking out. And all he says is, <coughs> Lord, open his eyes. And he, the Lord removes this veil, and all of a sudden he sees what? Chariots of fire. Thousands of them, more than the enemy. Full of angels. So don't be telling me you only got two little angels taking care of you. Uh uh-uh. uh. There are thousands, thousands, thousands. And here's what um, Elisha told his servant Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I don't know what your them is today. I don't know what the big obstacle is, or the big mountain, or the thing that looks so impossible. But I'm telling you, you got more with you than that are with them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, Elisha, it's like he intimately knew Jehovah Sabaoth. We can live like that too, friends. We can intimately know this powerful God. We can go through our day, no matter what you hear or see or even feel, 
you can know that this God is your God and that he's taking care of you. So just like Joshua, when he took his shoes off, the sandals, and he said, I acknowledge the battle is now yours, Lord. It wouldn't hurt for us to say that once in a while, right? Lord, I acknowledge this battle is yours. I wrote another little scripture down, two of them actually. Psalm 139, I think it's verse 5. The King James says, you have set me. Did I give you that scripture? I didn't, did I? Okay, you have set me behind and before and you laid your hand upon me. That's King James language for he's in front of me, he's behind me. Other verses say he's a shield to us. All around. I was listening to Bill Vanderbush this week. I got his Revelation study. Did anybody else get that? He was talking about the very first chapter of Revelation 1. I think it's verse 17 where Jesus announced to John, I am the first and I am the last. And that's the same picture I got. Here I am walking and Jesus is first. I've got my gaze on him. My heart is fixed on him. I'm tuning my ear to hear what he's saying. I'm watching, I'm following in his steps, and he's, he's last. He's behind me, too, chasing me down with his goodness and his mercy. So always, always we are surrounded, friends. We are not left alone. Now, this very first appearance, I suppose we better get to it, <laughs> is in 1 Samuel chapter 1. This name, Jehovah Sabaoth, that kind of shows up in an odd place, maybe. But here's the context again. We've just finished the book of Judges and Ruth. The book of Judges is known as the cyclical time. You know, the people, they love the Lord, but they they got to have more. Isn't that the root of idolatry and immorality? I'm being cheated. i got to have some more. So they sin. They fall into immorality and idolatry. Then they cry out to the Lord, and the Lord raises up a deliverer. And there's rest in the land. And up. Uh, they slipped back down into, and it was just went like that for cycles. And then God raised up Gideon and Samson and, and Deborah and Ophniel and Ehud and all these guys. Okay, so now all of the time of Judges is over, and here we are now. Israel is kind of in this place of insecurity, distress, upheaval. The church is not in a good way. It's kind of in a backslidden state. And... Um, And I looked up a bunch of these names to pronounce them the right way, so we'll see how things go here. I'm going to skip a few of the big ones. There was a certain man named Elkanah, is how we're supposed to say it. Want to practice it? Elkanah. All right. Uh, We'll skip a few things. Okay, verse 2. He had two wives. The name of the one, we all call her Hannah, but it's actually supposed to be Kanah. But we'll call her Hannah, because otherwise it'll be too confusing for us, right? And his other wife's name was Peninnah. Peninnah had children, several, by the way. Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly. It was a big, big deal, friends. Once a year, they would go to Shiloh, where the tabernacle was, and they would worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts. And the two sons of Eli, and actually his name is supposed to be Eli, but we'll call him Eli, that's okay. (laughs) And he had two sons that were wicked men. Um, Let's see, you're supposed to call it Kafni and Penikoth. 
Weird things, though, guys. Kafni's name means fist. I keep wondering what kind of woman he, Eli was married to. That would, because the one boy's name is fist, and this other guy's name means the mouth of a serpent. So, anyway, we all know that they weren't godly men. All right, can we go on? The priests, they were the priests of the Lord at the time. And when the time came for Elkanah to offer his sacrifice, he gave to Peninnah, his wife, and to all of her sons and daughters portions, pieces of the sacrificial meat. And he gave to Hannah, the Bible here says, a worthy portion. Amplified says a double portion. So maybe he gave her two pieces of the sacrifice, pieces of meat. But Hannah, excuse me, I already read that. The Lord shut up her womb, and her adversary also provoked her sore and made her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. In other words, every single time there was this trip, this major trip to Shiloh, Peninnah got real busy with her mouth, reminding Hannah how she wasn't good enough. I mean, it was a major thing in those days, the Jewish women, when they couldn't have a baby, they were supposedly under this curse. And anyway, she made life very miserable for Hannah. Therefore, she wept and she did not eat. Did I skip anything? Okay. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to Hannah, what are you crying about? Why aren't you eating? Why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. It was a place of honor. And she was in great bitterness of soul and she prayed to the Lord and she wept sore. She vowed a vow and she said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your handmaiden and remember me and not forget your handmaid, but will give unto your handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life and there shall come no razor upon his head. So first of all, she is not saying this vow out loud. You're going to see that in the next verse, that she prayed, Eli marked her mouth, but no voice was heard. One of the commentators explained that if a woman made a vow out loud like that, the husband had the right to cancel the vow. So this might be why she didn't say it out loud. Um, Then notice that uh, the vow that she made, no razor upon his head. This is a Nazarite vow, just like what happened with Samson and uh, John the Baptist. So, uh, only her lips moved, her voice was not heard, therefore Eli thought that she was drunk. Verse 14, and Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put away this wine from you. And Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not count this, your handmaid, for a daughter of Belial. In other words, I'm not a woman of the world. For it's out of the abundance of my complaint and deep, deep grief that I have spoken. And Eli answered her. Now, Eli is being used of the Lord here in spite of his situation here and his attitude. He says, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant you your petition that you have asked of him. And she said, let your 
handmaid find grace in your sight. So the woman went her way and now she ate and now her countenance was no more sad. So she left with faith in her heart. She was convinced that what he said to her was, you have your request. And they rose up then in the morning early and they worshiped before the Lord and they returned and came to their house to Ramah and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Now, this is quite a story. I mentioned that this was at a time of great upheaval in the land and distress, but Hannah herself was going through a whole lot of personal distress. We talked about the barrenness and how that was considered a curse. She's dealing with the taunts and insults from the other wife, Peninnah. And it's true, flesh and blood are not our enemy. We know that. But it can sort of get to you when somebody is going on and on and on and on. And there is an enemy that we see behind the scenes because he wants to discourage us. He wants to keep us from understanding what our purpose is and getting to that place of peace in our life. And he appears to be winning. (laughs) So secondly, Hannah is dealing with her husband's voice, revealing another tactic of the enemy. Lee Grady, in his book, Fearless Daughters of the Bible, he has an interesting take on verse 8. His thought is that Elkanah is actually saying to Hannah, why don't you just give up this desire for a baby? Just quit all this praying. Quit this. Leave off this spiritual stuff in your life. And just be satisfied with me. Let me be the center of your universe. You men aren't like that, right? (laughs) Now, Hannah certainly loved her husband, but aren't you glad she did not heed his counsel? Because it was Hannah's prayer and her persistence that changed an entire nation and brought revival to the church of her day. It was bad enough that Hannah had to deal with the criticism in her home and the pressure to compromise, but the saddest part was that when she walked into the house of God, she, instead of affirmation, she received accusation. And instead of blessing, she was scolded for being drunk. But praise God, she didn't give up. Notice verse 11. I don't know if we noticed that as we were going through here. Can we go back to verse 11? She vowed a vow, and her vow was... This is what she said, O Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth. This is who she talked to. If you will indeed look on this affliction of mine. So um, she didn't just spur the moment like blab this all out to God. She had formulated this for Hours, weeks, months, who knows, years. She had spent hours connecting with the heart of God until her final words were directly from the Holy Spirit. Now, why in the world did she call on the military God? Aren't you wondering? Why would a woman who wanted a baby call on the military God? Well, she had this revelation that this battle she was waging against barrenness, against the taunts and this incessant mocking was a battle she was not going to be able to win. And she knew it. She knew her choices. Of course, she could run and hide. She could say, it is what it is. Whatever will be, will be. Or she could have even turned to her the alcohol that Eli was suggesting to numb the pain. 
But this righteous woman sought the face of God. And she sought the face of the Lord of the commanding armies of heaven because this is the God of extremity. The same God we can call on when there is no hope and defeat seems inevitable. We can run into the sufficiency of the strong tower Jehovah Sabaoth. Hallelujah. Now, 1 Samuel has another glorious story, which I'm not going to include tonight because we just don't have enough time. But there is another giant mismatch that happens about 17 chapters later where this little shepherd boy is matched up to this great big 15-foot giant and he's pretty sure of himself and he's big, giant. And the odds are like it's a little bit of a mismatch. David says to the giant in verse 45 of 1 Samuel 17, and you just got to picture this again. Here's this little guy and this big guy. And he says, you come to me. I mean, this takes a lot of courage, a lot of faith. You come to me with a sword. And his sword wasn't the same size as everybody else's sword, right? You come to me with a spear, and his spear wasn't the same size as everybody else's. You have a shield. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, Yahweh Sabaoth. I come in the name of the God of the armies of heaven, whom you have defied. You come armed to the hilt. You appear to have every single advantage. I come in the name of Jehovah Sabaoth, and I'm telling you right up front, I win and you lose. Isn't that what he said? Yes. You are not contending with a little shepherd boy. You are contending with the captain of the entire angelic force of heaven. Friends, you can speak to your giants. You can. You can speak to the impossibilities in your life. You can speak to the bullies of shame and remorse. You can speak to the bills that it looks like you can't pay. You can speak to the people you can't please. You can tell the one who wakes you up in the middle of the night, the battle is the Lord's. Hallelujah. Hey, Mr. Giant, I might look like an easy target here, but you're not contending with Deb Kalsbeck. You are contending with Yahweh Sabaoth. That goes for every one of you. He is your covenant-keeping, glorious, conquering God. Hallelujah. So say it with me. The battle is the Lord's. I yield to the captain himself. I surrender the battle to the Lord. Now think a minute. You got a battle you can surrender? All right, say it again. I surrender this battle. To the Lord. Hallelujah. I bow to your holiness. I bow to your almightiness. And like Hannah, my face is turned to Yahweh Sabaoth. And like David, I come in the name of the Lord of hosts. So stand with me. Father, we give you glory, we give you praise, we give you honor. Thank you for opening our eyes even tonight of a little bit more of your power, a little bit more of the power of your name. 
Hallelujah. The strength that you have given us access to in Jesus' name. We praise you, Lord. We praise you that you are the military God. That you love to deliver your people. Hallelujah. Lord, these people right here tonight, you love them. You intensely cherish them and you are devoted to their victory. Thank you, Lord, that we live out of the victory of Christ. And we thank you that every battle, you have already set it up for us to win. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So, Father, I thank you. I release a blessing upon everyone in the house right now. Hallelujah. I thank you, Lord, for the angels of God that are encamped around about them. Thousands of angels at their access, protecting them. More are they that are with them that are with than the other. Greater is he that is within us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the victory. And I praise you right now. Thank you that the joy of the Lord is our strength and we can completely trust in you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. Have a great week. Have a great week. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this inspirational message. We trust that you were encouraged in your faith. For additional information or resources, please contact the church at 605-692-4616. You can email us at holylife@brookings.net or visit our website at holylifetabernacle.com. If you're in the Brookings area, please stop by to visit a service. We are located at 241 Mustang Pass, just off Main Avenue South. Our service times are Sundays at 10 a.m. and 6.30 p.m., Also, Wednesday nights at 7. God bless you.